My dear students, today is Sunday, December 12th, 2021, and uh, we're ready to roll. We still have the summer here. The winter has not come in. It's good for humans. It's bad for farmers, bad for the ground, and bad for the prices we'll be paying in the Shemitah year for uh, produce that at least is grown in Israel with one heter or another. Happy to welcome David Vogel from uh, London, uh, and he bears the same name as my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather was David Vogel, F-O-G-E-L, and uh, you, you're Vogel with a V. It was with a Yeah, it's the same name. People who spell it F-O-V, it's the, exactly the same name. It all happened in the course of assimilation to the Western world. The name's changed. Okay, I'm ready to roll. We have a world to do today. Uh, I just want to answer some questions. This is for my dear student from Brooklyn who's studying here in Geula, Azriel, China. Um, I was riding with him on Friday and he asked me the name of the neighborhood beyond Rechavia, Chenechovsky. One side of Chenechovsky is still Kiat Shmuel, but I want to call it Rechavia because no one calls it Kiat Shmuel anymore. And the other side is a new neighborhood. It dawned upon me later, it's called Rasko. Why is it called Rasko? There's a tremendous shikun uh, built a block down from Chenechovsky. It runs for blocks and blocks and blocks. It evidently was built in the early 1960s because when I came in Aliyah, it was totally alive and kicking. The Jewish agency actually had apartments there, for, as I recall, for single students. And uh, that was built by the Rasco Company. Whether they still exist today, I have no idea. But they gave the name to that area, Rasco. I also want to mention a Talmud from America corresponded, and he was offended that the uh, religious Zionist world does not give credit to the Eidot HaMizrach for their Zionism. I just want to tell everyone that an article appeared in uh, Yisrael Hayom on uh, the 30th of November, 2021. And it talks about Enzu Agadah, that Herzl's, the bones, the remains of Herzl's grandparents are going to be reburied next to Herzl and his wife and children in Hart Herzl. And believe it or not, his grandfather, who was a from Jew, and active in the shul, and uh, according to the articles at Talmud Chacham, was a great admirer of Rabbi Alkali who inspired him. And the Zionism that Herzl got in his house came from his grandfather. It wasn't that he was, to he was totally assimilated, but the roots were there, and they were reawakened by the Dreyfus tribe. And according to this article, I add a postscript, the whole Zionist movement owes its origins to the Eidot HaMizrach, Rabbi Yehuda Alkali. So I just want that person to know, uh, in addition to what I said about myself, that no one can accuse me of any uh, non-good feeling towards Eidot HaMizrach when seven of my grandsons are married to girls from Eidot HaMizrach, a fabulous, fabulous young ladies. In addition, Zionism hurts so I'm very proud. Um, I want to mention to Jack, Jack asked me about Neirot Hanukkah. Uh, how do you uh, describe it? How do you define it halachically? 
So there's no question Neilat Hanukkah is a chovat gavra. If you have an empty apartment, there's no halacha that you have to have a Hanukkah candles burning in the empty apartment. But it's a very unique chovat gavra. It's different than tefillin. Tefillin, every person has to put on Zach. You follow me? By definition, this is a chovat gavra that uh, Barak, that in your apartment, in the Chepsa, Hanukkah candles have to be lit. You follow how I'm explaining it? And, and this will explain why, if uh, for the sake of argument, Zach, you're, uh, on, you're, you're in the army, and you're, you're on duty, and uh, you're not going to get home until the next morning. And there's no way in where you sleep at night, where your apartment is, that you can get there to light candles. So you can ask your chave in the army. Not everyone's on duty at the same time. You take turns. My, my grandson is just called up for a month, but he, he's milu. Oh, my grandchildren are miluim, obviously, outside of my youngest grandson, who's a, a career officer. But uh, he told me out of the month, he'll only have to serve two weeks because... They need 11 people to handle the cob. What they're assigned to, to, hand, to patrol, not time, 11 people out of 22, let's say. So he'll be there two weeks. So, But if he can't get home, you can ask Yechaveh to light the candles for you. You follow? And this was what bothered Jack. How does a guy, he's flying in an airplane, and his wife is lighting candles for him. All right? How, ah, so it's a chovat gavra, but it's different. Here the chovar relates to where you live that you have to see to it that candles are lit for you in that apartment. Now, halacha lemaisa, when someone asked me this question for the sake of argument in the days that we could still fly, and I just told Rabbi Miller, in my humble opinion, uh, corona is going to wipe out part of the world, and it won't end until you hear that in the United States they announced that men can't marry men and women can't marry women. And you can laugh at me all you want, but uh, Natan, I'll stand on what I'm saying. I, I, I told you about Hank Bauer and I wasn't wrong. We'll see what happens here. So, uh, you know, look at, uh, I don't have time now, but look at the, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, look at the Midrashim, why we had the flood, etc. So uh, when the world was yet normal, so a man would be flying in from New York and he, he, he lands, he goes through customs. Till he gets home, it's 12 midnight. Can he light candles? And I always answered, it, be the average you can find a heter as long as someone is awake. But it's a be the average because the truth is the streets in Jerusalem after 10 o'clock at night, in most neighborhoods, there's no traffic on the streets. Where you live, where I live, it's, it's still a hate. It's quiet. But I always answered, let your wife light for you. Have kavana for you. When you get home, you light without a bracha. But th- it is true that Neirot Hanukkah is different than Chovat Tfilin. It's a Chovat Gafra, but there is that difference. Okay, I just wanted to answer Jack's question. Um, uh, finally, to Rabbi... Uh, uh, I, I'm looking to see if Rabbi Rubin is on screen. I just want to be sure he received what I left for him. And... Uh, let me see if I can get myself a seat. You want to look at me? I can look a little bit better by moving the screen that's catching me. And I want to give a muscle tough to uh, another dear Talmud, Chaim uh, Maltz, uh, who's been my Talmud, who we know each other since '62, on the marriage of his grandson to the 
daughter and granddaughter of students of mine that should be in Vehagefen, be in Vehagefen. Okay, let's get started. Now, the whole question of uh, smoking, I need not tell you that this is a very delicate question, and uh, wh- whether we want to answer it or don't want to answer it, halachalamaisa, smoking is terrible, smoking is very injurious, um, there's now talk in uh, one of the countries, and uh, maybe Sweden, where I read about it, they want to outlaw smoking from every kid, I think, from the age of 16 on. In other words, they don't want to, the people who are old already smoking, you can't stop. But any kid 16 or under will not be allowed to smoke by law. Um, it, it, the smokers affect all of us, triage. It causes cancer, it causes lung problems, it causes, uh, oh, God have mercy, people I know and how they died, and they were heavy smokers. And ultimately it means that the hospitals have less facilities for you, for me, and the third person. So we're all affected by it. But can we outlaw it? And here you're haunted by the problem I called your attention to. Gedole Yisrael, Gedole Yisrael smoked. I can still see Reb Mendel Zaks in front of me coming into the room, breaking the cigarettes. And it was a sight to see, and we would all be transfixed by how he's not burned. He was, his, hair, his skin was so hardened by all this, uh, the smoking he did, the fire he held in his hand so many decades that he wouldn't even feel it. The, we, we would be, he's concentrating and asking us, Shilas and Rashi and Taisvis, and we're looking at him, mitgefar, with fear, Rebbe, Rebbe, Nemakok, you know, he didn't even feel it. And it's very hard for Reb Menashe Klein and for Rav uh, and, and Reb Moshe Feinstein to us because uh, they saw Gadoli Israel smoke. All right, we saw all the sources. There's no question that Reb Moshe's family says today that Reb Moshe would Asa. Would Reb Menashe Klein Asa today? And here you come to the question I call your attention to. We'll see it uh, again today and again and again. Uh, a Litvak can paskin and walk away. Uh, a Litvak, our emotions are controlled. We come from a different world. If Barak knew his great-great-grandfather, uh, he would understand what I'm talking about. We have to control emotions, have to control desires. But a Hasidish Jew, when he thinks of the Rebbeim who smoked, it's very hard for him to give a blanket Isaac. Now, I want to give you one more source that I came across nothing to do with... Uh, I was looking for something in what I'm writing about, uh, Das Tera and religious Zionism, and I came across, and I think the source speaks for itself, Mikhtab Meyeli Yahu. What are you checking? The, the screen, what's picking me up? This this is picking me up? Or this? What are you working with? Um, yeah, they're trying... Uh, so, one second. Which is picking me up? This is picking me up? Oh, I see. Okay. All right, now it's good. Is it good? Who's watching me on screen? Chesky, you have me on screen there? Uh, some, someone pointed out that the Okay, so I leave it like this. Do me a favor, sit, don't sit so far back, sit here. Okay, so, uh, and here I want to say a few words. This is a very fascinating individual. There's a whole art scroll volume about him. 
whether Atzkrel does justice to him is a different question. His name, Rabbi Eliyahu Eliezer Desla, Rabbi Eliyahu Desla. Rab Desla was from the Kelm family. Uh, those of you that heard my lectures uh, 20, 30 years ago on uh, Musa, so Kelm plays a big role. Uh, Rab Simcha Zissel uh, was at Breida, or Ziv, they're two names that float around with that family. He was a Talmud of yet uh, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. He yet saw Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. And he saw Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam, he saw Rabbi Yitzchak Plaza, we're talking about one of the top Talmidim of Kelm. And he organized in Kelm, you had what was called the Tamator of Kelm. It was not a big yeshiva. It was for those who were on a very high level and wanted a Musa experience, you went to Kelm. I still knew someone who had studied in Kelm. Rabbi Dr. Elchanan Blumenthal's Lechet Tzadik Levrach. Ah, he used to talk about uh, Rabbi Neil Moshkovitz was killed by Hitler as his Rebbe. He would say to me what I say to you, you know, I say if you haven't seen the Rub, you haven't seen greatness. He would say to me if you haven't seen Kelm, you don't know what greatness is about. So um, Rav Desla was part of the family. They were married in. They were not blood relatives, but they were uh, part of the family. His father was a, a businessman, but a Kelma, a Musenik, and Rav Desla wound up in England. The whole story of how he goes to England, it's a fascinating story. Um, he runs up in England. His wife and children wind up in Australia. They didn't see each other for many years. The World War II, I need not tell you uh, what it did to the Jewish people. While he was in England, he was rubbing his shul in London. He was not the happiest person in the world. Barak, I think I have to talk to your son about letting you sleep at night. It looks to me like uh, he's putting you through the test and letting you know you became parents with all that that implies. And as my wife says, it's a life sentence. Don't forget it. And also understand that young man didn't ask to be born. You brought him into the world. You have responsibility. Your life is now focal and center around that young man and what will come next be is Rat Hashem. And uh, the older students here are laughing. Everyone understands me well. So uh, Rav Desla had a shul in, in London and he was very unhappy. You take a Muslim and put him into the rabbinate with all the respects to London. And remember, you're talking in the early 40s, it's Tsifu Frumkeit has nicht given. How would I translate that? Too much Frumkeit there wasn't in London at the time. But what happened was, and Gates said, there was a nucleus of Frum Jews, and they wanted more. And uh, they called Rav Desler, the Gates said, they organized the Kolel, organized the Gates said Seminary for Women, and if you read the history of Gateshead, everyone agrees. There were many Rabbanim there, there were many big names, there were many Lamdan. It was a Litvish uh, uh, fallout in Gateshead. But the fact that Rabbi Desla went there, put it on the map. He was, uh, he was the connecting link. Now, he was also quite broad. Uh, there was a bit of Torah Vedereheritz in his veins. The proof of it is that uh, Mahon Lev, uh, 
when you look at who founded Machon Lev, you're going to find it's not just the why you influence, and I agree there was why you influenced, there's Jacob Kamenetsky influence, uh, Lev himself was a Talmud, Zev Lev, Professor Lev was a Talmud of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, it's uh, your family. In Toronto, when Rabbi Yaakov came to uh, the Western world, he first was in Canada. But there was a lot of English Torah, Derech Eretz influence, Germany to England, to Mahon Lev. And uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Carmel, you've heard the name, he was a Talmud Mufak of uh, Rav Desla. And that was Torim Derecheritz on its finest level. I, uh, I, I just wrote an email to America. I don't know if I'm being a wise guy from right or wrong, but in America they're going crazy. The YU basketball team has now won 44 straight games. I don't know. I would be a lot happier to hear that 44 students in YU at the age of 18, 19 are the same shots. I would be, I personally, I don't know, but all right, I got to live with reality. Uh, I don't know if, if Rabbi Desla and Rabbi Kamel and, and Professor Lev, with all due respects, which is more important, the basketball, the 44, or Siam Shas, wow. All right, could be in YU, we have to have both. All right, to have both, the average person in YU has to be way, way above average to achieve both, but maybe it can be done. Now, Rav Tesla's writings were collected, Mikhtav Meyeli Yahu. And the writings are essentially, it's not so much halacha as hashkafa, philosophy, and you can see he's dealing he's dealing with the real problems because he was exposed to the Western world. You can't live in England, in London, in Gateshead and, and not be exposed to the Western world, particularly the 1940s. Today you can live in London and go to a Belshtibel and not know uh, anything beyond a little Hasidus and you have a store, you know, you don't have to be a professional, you make a living from your store, a businessman, and then gate fighter and you go further. Today you can do that, but not in the 1940s. Now I'll tell you what's fabulous. He has one of his most famous kuntris, or one there two that actually are famous, but the kuntris habachira. He deals with choice. Now, I don't have to go into philosophy now, but the, the question of choice is, it has many, many implications. Above all, how do we have choice? God knows what we're going to do. I mean, that's, that's the most classic question. But from the Musa point of view, and how do you overcome uh, challenges? How do you overcome temptation? How do you make the right choices? How do you educate yourself? So on, in volume one of the Mikhtat Meliyahu, in Chelek Aleph of Machut HaBechira, it's a very long country, Perik Aleph. And you know how it begins? It begins with smoking. And he describes, I mean, it's a fabulous description. He describes, here a person constantly smokes. And he knows that when he smokes at night, he has pains in his chest. And when he suffers at night, he makes up his mind that the next day he's not going to smoke at all. He has to stop the smoking. The next day comes, we're describing ourselves now, just to translate this, 
I, I'm, I'm walking on there. I was in Machni Yehud the last Thursday. I don't get around that much, you know. My feet don't work like they used to, but I had to go to Machni Yehud. I need certain things. Perfect. And there's a candy store there. There are actually two candy stores that they bring in products from all over the world. It's cheap. I got Almond Joy bars cheaper than I would pay in America. And I tell you, over Shabbos, boy, was I happy because I, I don't eat flesh if I don't have to. So I, I could eat milk. It's not a problem. I, didn't, I mean, it brought me back to Lakewood, the mountains bars from Lakewood. You don't know that. We used to think they were part of Later we found out it had milk in it, but it had less than 2%. If in America, the law is if it's less than 2%. You don't have to mention it. On the, the I'm joyous milkings, the same as, as, as the mounds bars we thought were part of. All right. Uh, boy, was I overjoyed. So I said, no, you'd have one piece of that. Ah, two, what harm, it's Shabbos, it's Shabbos, it's Shabbos, it's Shabbos, you can give yourself a hundred different reasons for having Two parts, not one, finishing the whole, the whole bar. So his description here. Then he says, the next day comes, and he says, you know, you say to yourself, oh, I got to have a smoke. Ugh. One smoke, one hurt. So you take one smoke. Then an hour later, again, you say, well, it's only, an, I'll take another smoke. It's only one cigarette. Now, each time it's only one and before you know it, he's back to smoking. The next night he feels the pain again and the cane hala. What's beautiful about this description, what do you see from it? That already in the early 1940s, they knew that smoking was harmful. And, and after going through uh, uh, this contrast, uh, you walk away with the feeling that he's not happy about people smoking. He's not a halachist. It's not that he's answering a shaila, but here already you have a source that's 80 years old, and you see that the Adoli Israel understood that smoking was not healthy. Halacha lemaisa, no one should smoke. Uh, I'm proud to say none of my grandchildren smoke. None of my children smoke. Uh, it's a terrible challenge. On the other hand, I've when I was younger and had more self-confidence that I could run away quickly, I walked over to yeshiva, you know, people with the, wearing the uniform and they're smoking. I say, I come over here, so sometimes they just laugh at you and sometimes they want to slug you. It's not so simple. So nowadays I keep my mouth shut, but there's no question smoking is harmful. The Israeli government spends a fortune of money. Ads are in all the papers uh, about smoking with tombstones. And if they outlaw in, in, in a European country already, I'm sure uh, the liberals here, the, uh, the, the retrogressives here, I don't want to call them progressives, uh, I'm sure that they're going to outlaw it here too. And we can go along with them. It's a great joy we can go along with them. Okay, now let's go further. We come to a very interesting question. And again, I don't know of many Gedoli Israel that would have handled this question. Um, you know, they would have the attitude, this is tried, who wants to get involved with women, with diets. Uh, if Reb Meishe didn't want to answer my question about someone asking you for uh, guidance on Shabbos, uh, how to drive, remember I told you the story, I wrote to Reb Meishe in the 70s, I got stopped many times in my neighborhood, 
with the people asking this address, how do we get there? What do I answer? It's Shabbos. All right, I don't want to go and I told you the whole story where I asked the Rav and Rabbi Lichtenstein differed and was a very interesting machlekes between uh, I'm asking the question. I get one, the Rav gave me one answer and Rabbi gave me another answer. I told Rav what the Rav said and the, we, we, we went back and forth. All right. But Rabbi Nasha Klein answers everything. And here I want to quote from Chelekei, Mishnah Lachat Chelekei, Siman Reish Tzadi Tet. Jack, look it up and tell me and, and tell me if I'm right. I'm not reading, misreading the Hey and the Chet. Chelekei Siman Reish Tzadi Tet. This trivial was written in 1970 and was written to Rabbi Cheskel Shraga Winfeld, who was related to Rabbi Menashe Klein. And it's fascinating how he begins to chiva, and he says, Baruch Hashem, I'm happy to see my uncle's family still produces Talmidei Chachamim, and uh, I'm happy to see that you are learning it's a very beautiful blessing to the person. It may be a, a first cousin answering the question or a nephew answering the question. Okay. And he says, He has no Hebrew word for diet. And the truth is, I don't think there's a Hebrew word. Everyone here uses the word diet. Google later, see if you have a Hebrew word. I, I, I haven't heard a Hebrew word. Diet, diet, it's an international word. I wouldn't be surprised if in Russian it's the same thing. I, I found that in when we worked in Russia. Certain words are international. Television, uh, telephone, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, okay. Anyway, so he's asking a Shiloh. Why is he asking a Shiloh? What kind of question is it? A woman wants to do a diet. Hey, he he sh- excuse me? I have a translated uh, translation. Dieta. Dieta. No, so all right. That's what I said. Dieta. It's the uh, it's diet. There's no real uh, Hebrew. There's no real Hebrew word. Ra'avon, rava, but it doesn't. It's not the same. It doesn't click. All right. Diet is diet. So, first of all, you have to ask yourself, what's wrong? A woman wants to do a diet. I mean, and not only women, men want to do diets. Uh, we all know uh, healthy living. So here you have an open Gemara. It's a Gemara I just, um, um, this week I'll be Messiah Baba Kama. We'll start Baba Metziah Be'ezrat Hashem. Look up the Gemara, Baba Kama Daftsadi Aleph Ahmed Bet. It's a Gemara you all know. Rashi quotes the Gemara. It's also in the Midrashay Halacha. And uh, the Gemara is dealing with the whole question. It's uh, Are you allowed to harm yourself? An interesting question. All right, to do serious harm, certainly not. But minor harm allowed, certain things we do, I don't know. Uh, are you allowed, not allowed, though? Okay, this is the Gemara. You'll see Rabbi Menashe Klein um, goes into much more detail. But this is the Machlekes in the Gemara. So there's, uh, they bring down the opinion, And 
And this is by a Nazir. You, the Pasik, and it's all dealing with the korbanot that the nazir has to bring when he gives up his nazirut. What do you mean he chatal? What's wrong? A nazir? Uh, we would look at a nazir, wake up in the middle of the night, he's a saint, he's wonderful, he's good. Uh, not so simple. I'm scratching the surface here. I'll give you some very fascinating makorot. But uh, so one wants to know what's the chait. So the Gemara says, "Elashitziyir et hatzmo min chayayin." Wow, that uh, you didn't drink wine, you outlawed wine. Wow, and and uh, you know God made a beautiful world. He gave us the world, and and we're allowed to have enough from the world. And it could be we're obligated to have an hour from the world. We have to remain healthy and strong. And wow. And the Gemara says, well, if you have to bring a carbon and you're a sinner because you didn't drink wine, that if only not drinking wine is considered sinful, then imagine to punish yourself and cut back on all different types of food. This is forbidden. It's sinful. The world is there for you to enjoy. And this is the Gemara that this young Talmud Chacham is quoting, and this is why he asks, are you allowed to go on a diet? A diet means not just wine. If we're French, to us, French people, not to drink wine, we're terrible, but an American kid, you can't have a Hershey bar. In Israeli, you can't have, uh, you know, the bagelach, whatever you love here, some of the baked products. Uh, imagine in, in Borough Park, you can't have Reisman strudel. Oh, my gosh. Do you still have Grzynski's Bakery in there? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and you, know, you know that he was related. The original founders of the bakery related to Chaim Meister Grzynski. They were cousins, that big, big yichus. That's in, 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 they're all over England when I was there. I remember that branches. Excuse me? Go, only Golders Green? And Edgeworth. Okay. But they were world famous, Grzynski's Bakery. But I think also the fact that there was the Prime Mesa's family added to their fame. Rokach. Those of you who grew up in America, it's now gone. Remember Rokach products? Rokach products were Rokeach. That was the Belzer Rebbe's cousin. The Heksher in Europe was the Belzer Rebbe, was his cousin. They still have Rokach. In Israel, it's amazing. Whenever you meet a Rokach, or they pronounce it Rokach, Rokach, they're all interrelated. It's all the Belzer family. So uh, this fellow took for granted that dieting is a real problem because you're harming your body. 
and 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 Reb Menashe Klein builds up his point of view and says, "You're right. The problem with food has greatly destroyed the world. For instance, Adam v'Chava. We don't have to go any further than the original sin." He quotes it. Again, I grew up, you know, in a Catholic neighborhood. The original sin, the cardinal sin, oh my gosh, what went on around Adam v'Chaba, the apple. And not only does he quote Adam v'Chaba, but you have one of the most difficult parshiot in the Torah. Ben, Sora, Umora. You take a kid, 12 years old, and you execute him because he robbed uh, a certain amount of meat and a certain amount of wine. And the Gemara struggles with it. I'll shame so far. The Gemara said, Hedron, why do you execute him? So the, then the Gemara says, Lo You're all familiar with that. But what the Gemara is telling us is a very important issue in Chinuch. That already from a young kid, you know, you don't become a tzaddik or a gangster at the age of 21. The traits are there already when you're 8, 9, 10. I, and it's fascinating. And a good mechanic, you have to take the trait in the Talmud and use it constructively. In other words, if a kid is really has tzaddik tendencies, your job is to teach him not to become a Nazir, to live mainstream. By the way, it's all here in the Chiba what I'm saying now. To live, to live the way God commanded us. We're not, we don't, we're not Catholics. It's not we take vows of chastity, obedience, and poverty. You follow? We're not the Buddhist monks, etc., etc. We, we don't view that. The famous story with Hasidic Rebbe of the uh, Hasid who comes to the Rebbe and says, Rebbe, I'm, a, I'm saying it in Yiddish, I'm going to say it in English. Ich bin I'm such a tzaddik. I haven't slept in a bed for ten years already. Seven years, I sleep on straw. And I eat very little and simple food. And, and the Rebbe says, come with me to the window. And he shows him the donkey across the street. Tell me, where does the donkey sleep at night? What does the donkey eat? Are you a Hamar or a good Jew? And, and then, but then if you see a kid, you'll see, they will, I'm going to show you, I'm, I'm going to open this all up, give you sources. But you see a kid with, with, with rough tendencies, rough tendencies. You have to educate that kid to use the roughness. Okay, I want you to be a general in the Israeli army. And by the way, we've had Maklev, the, uh, we, we had actually a relative of that family taught in BMT, the, after your time, she taught Hebrew. She was a Maklev, uh, she was uh, married already, a different name, but she was a Maklev. So you know what the story is, Maklev, his parents were killed in the riot, the Arabs, what we've lost to the Arabs. And the world still views it. And, and I, I, I say to any non-Jew, do you believe in the Bible? And the law say, oh, yes, you know, they're ashamed to say they have no belief in God or anything. They say, yes, we must open up the Bible, see who God gave the land to. We're not chasing Arabs out, but it's our land, and they have to live here as upright citizens. We welcome them with open arms. I explain what a Gertoshev is. But the Maklev, his parents were killed. 
he went on to become chief of staff of the Israeli army. He was the second or third. Uh, and that, that's what he did. We, from the anger that his parents were killed, he took his revenge, became chief of staff of the Israeli army. So you, have to, you have to use the talent that the person has constructively. And, 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 um, and uh, Rabbi Menashe Klein says, yeah, your question is very good. Adam Vachava over an apple ruined the world. A ben sora moru you execute. Your question is very good, but then he refers him to the balei nefesh of the rival. And here, I have to tell you, it's I I don't like to go into philosophy. As I told you a thousand times over. I saw Rav Kenneth Fishman, I saw the Talmudim of Yerukim Lubavitz, I saw the Shanghai crowd. When you saw the Shanghai crowd, there's no Jewish philosophy you need. I saw walking Jews. I saw angels. I saw the Sherat HaPleta. I saw the connection to Gedole Gedole Israel. I don't have any questions. I have no problem. You know how upset I get if someone calls me modern orthodox. So I got a question from Houston, Texas. What's the difference between modern orthodox and the way you live, Rebbe? It's very simple. If I say a modern orthodox, it means my religion has to be modernized. That there's something the matter. Nothing the matter with my Torah. The world has to be modernized. That we have to take them away from idol worship. But that's a different story. But where am I different for the sake of argument than Panovich or Lakewood, etc., Bells, Gare? Yeah. It's very simple. I live in the Western world. And I gave this description. If you recall my interview with Ami magazine, the uh, Rabbi Frankfurt had danced around me when I said, look, you got to understand who the rub was. He was a Torah Jew in the Western world. He loved that. I said, that's the Rav. Rav Shach, I was told, said privately, Yoma, did you tell me this? Or someone else told me this? That Rav Shach said, Rav Salavechik, he was the greatest Gon in the, in, the, in the generation. But he can live in two worlds. We can't. All right, I, I'm not so happy with that explanation. It, that we can't live like the Rav. Halavai would be one one-hundredth of the Gon my Rebbe was. But, but... This is the world today. All right, I want to go further. But uh, I didn't need philosophy. But here, this is basic philosophy. And this is basic Judaism. And I'm going to tie it right in with the Shanghai crowd. And this is the Balei Nefesh of the Rabbat, of the Rivet. In the yeshiva world, where you, when I grew up, was the Rambam and the Rivet. When I came to Israel... And I was teaching in Michalana. Yes, I had very intelligent students, uh, some of them daughters of the greatest Rabbana, Rav Abadji's daughter, Rav Halevi's daughter of Tel Aviv, Rav Benedict's daughter, I can give you Rav Kalman Gahana's daughter. These were all my students in the early 70s. And uh, they used to say the Rabbat. How do you, not time, how do they refer to the Rivet today in YU in Washington Heights? The Rabbat or the Rivet? The Rivet. The Rivet. All right, the name has lived on the Rivet. Have you read Professor Tversky's work on the Rivet? Are you aware that that was epic making? Do you know who Professor Yitzhak Tversky was? Who was his father-in-law? You got it. He was married to Atara, to the Rav's oldest child. Moshe Tversky, who was killed in Hanov, that's his son. Hashem Yikom Damal. 
Mayor Tversky, why you Tsipora Rosenblatt is his daughter, Rabbi John Jonathan Rosenblatt's wife, uh, he's my student right here. Okay. Now, the Ravid, we all know him halachically, but he also had a very a beautiful philosophic overtone and Balai Nefesh is one of his greatest works. It's on Hilchat Nida Mikvot Kedusha. And at times he gets involved in philosophy. Now the edition I'm quoting from, I'm very proud to tell you this, I'm related by marriage. It's edited by Ephraim Ario Buchwald, who um, may still be living in B'nai Brak. My uh, son-in-law, my eldest son-in-law's mother is a Buchwald. This is her cousin. And uh, I, me I met with him a number of times at Family Smachat. He's a Lakewood product, but it's amazing how they don't need Bernard Revel Graduate School. In other words, uh, they edit Rishonim as if they have a PhD from Bernard Revel or Hebrew U. You follow the whole academic approach. I see in Lakewood too today. When I visited, when Lakewood honored me two year, a year and a half ago, they took me around and, and people gave me copies of their publications. One individual there, Reb Chaim Heller's letters, I told him, hey, where, where did you go? You went to Bernard Revel, got a PhD? Call it, come on. And this is why today in Israel, the universities are suffering that uh, very few Talmudim are in uh, the, the academic uh, approach to Torah. Why? They went to Hezda Yeshiva, so they went to regular Yeshiva, traditional Yeshiva, and they've mastered it on their own. It's not that you see what others have done and you follow suit, and that's one reason. The other reason is that if you go into university already, Elliot, they want to make a living, and today it's high tech. My days, anyone intelligent who didn't want to be a Rosh Yeshiva, Rebbe, became a medical doctor. Today it's all women. I'm seeing a great expert this Tuesday. We have an appointment with a neurologist. She's the daughter of my classmate. Top quality woman. My face, I was so red. I look a lot more normal today. It's my student. Top dermatologist in Jerusalem. The women are the doctors. The men are already high tech, banking, international money. Wow, wow, wow. Correct. All right, so there's a dual problem, but I think a great part of it is that if you have that ability to do to do academia on Torah Hashem Tamima, I don't need Hebrew. I don't need Barilan. A graduate of Shalavim, a graduate of Alan Shvut, a graduate of Karim Biyatna. They put out uh, for, from Shalavim endless volumes. Mahon uh, Shlomo, I think it's called, memory of Shlomo Oman, who was killed in 82 in the, in the first Muhammad HaGalil HaRishon, the first Lebanese war. Now, I'm quoting from the Sharei Kedusha, page Kuf Pei Aleph in the edited edition. And there are three pages here that are like the exact total description of what Torah is about. And you can see that the rivet here is uh, 
dealing with challenges from the Christian world, the Muslim world. What do we Jews believe in? And, uh, you know, he says, we see from the Hasidim Rishonim, and by the way, everything I'm saying, he gives the sources, one Gemara after another, that uh, Hasidim Rishonim were very different in their behavior. They would take on stringencies to avoid any prohibition. And each one in accordance with his own abilities, his own constitution, physical, psychological, emotional, knew where he would limit himself. And he quotes one Gemara, an Amora, Rabbi Huda Bar-Eloi, who didn't wear fancy clothes. You follow? I taught in BMT, we used to have a lot of Svadic kids who weren't as from as the Svadic kids today. Today the Svadic kids have come a long way. And they used to get gentlemen's quarterly. You can correct me if I have the wrong name. And you should see all the clothes they looked at, you know, they and what they would order and they, they were in a world where they understood styles and, and what's happening. And the problem with, uh, if I'm quoting it right, Gentlemen's Quarterly, uh, pardon me, there were some pictures of women in there that weren't exactly based Yaakov photographs, we'll put it that way. But I, I still remember these kids. One thing about Israel, you dress simply, you don't have to overdress. Yomo, what's troubling you? He doesn't say, all right, he explains that it was, you're saying it was the circumstances. He explains it was a gather, that he didn't want to partake too much of the world. He quotes another source in Kedushin that one or more after he had children, couldn't have children anymore, his wife was menopause, past menopause, separated from his wife. And I remember Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld, we were talking, he's telling me the family he came from, that his grandfather, uh, these were the emissaries that when they couldn't have children, they went lived in two separate bedrooms. I would not advocate that for anyone in the modern world because we live in a world that is sexually crazy, crazy. When you observe Torah, you have the finest, most wonderful sexual life imaginable. When you don't observe Torah, you wind up like what's going on in New York today. You have no idea. My, my wife speaks with her sister. The Epstein story with, with that Maxwell lady. Day after day, you're brainwashed with the testimony. Sickness. Sickness. If you would only observe Tarek Mishpachah, but you understand. And, and here he says, they would separate themselves, but he says, not everyone should do this. And here, here he quotes a Yerushalmi. You'll see the source, and, uh, and Rabbi Menashe Klein quotes this entire piece. I'm just quoting it a little bit more from the original. 
he quotes the source that Avraham made peace with his Yetzirah and David HaMelech had to fight his Yetzirah bitterly. And here, of course, and the Ravid explains, the Rabbat explains, people are different. There's some people already, you see a neshama, you can see a kid of three years old, so fine. There's the, the, the malach forgot to tap him. That's what it amounts to. And you see a kid, I've seen kids like that. I hope I have some of my great-grandchildren like that. Such nachat. My grandson sent me a picture of his th- three boys shaking the lulav and the little kids and they, one boy has my wife's the audibility in my family is already in the fourth generation and he d- did the Sefer Torah kid in kindergarten his teacher said in her whole life she never saw anyone get so young she do so beautiful but other kids you see everything they got a, a fight people are different and the Ravid explains David HaMelech had a big Yetzirah it was powerful he had to fight it he had to take steps he beat it down with fasting denying himself earthly pleasure look how he succumbed with Batsheva and even if you take the Gemara Shabbos, Daphne Zayin, Kosmet David Chata, Lo still, it showed overactive sexual desire. Separated from women afterwards, according to one opinion. He was allowed to become a Nazir. And this is exactly, exactly the concept of Nasirut. You should have asked Barak immediately, why do we have a Nazir? If it's a chait, he's at that moment a yayin. But some people need it. Some people need it, have to have it. So many times when I taught, you know, I've taught on all levels. In 1959, I began in Talmud Torah, Englewood, kids in elementary school. I taught high school for seven years, YU, MTA. Well, it was REITs then. It was a different situation than today. But it, it, it really, in reality, was MTA already. The yeshiva was very big. And kids, who can be like you, Rebbe? You know, the kids are, you're a tzaddik. I'm a tzaddik. I was wilder than you when I was your age. My baseball knowledge makes you look like a simpleton. Well, you don't understand. And... and and, and kids in there, all right, BMT already was a higher level of teaching. But some people need it. Nazirat is not for everyone. But the Torah gave us an outlet. And this is the story with Rav Cook, with the Nazir, with Rav David Cohen. He was in Switzerland, he was in university. And he evidently felt very bad. He wasted time away from Torah. Who knows? Maybe he had a different philosophy. And he came back and, and Rav Cook sensed he needed more than just gentle Musa. And he told him, become Ke'ena Nazir. 
He never drank juice, uh, grape juice, never grapes. I understand he was a vegetarian too, that uh, Rav Cook, Rav Gorin too, they didn't eat meat. You can check it out. But didn't take a haircut. Remember what the Nazir looked like. And and he needed it. And some people have that Jetzirah, have phys- physiological reasons, psychological reasons, emotional reasons. Give them the zero. Let it be done within the Torah framework. That was David HaMelech. He had to beat that Jetzirah down because that Jetzirah troubled him. Avraham Avinu, and I'm quoting everything I'm saying is from the right, but Avraham Avinu, he already, God added his name, hey, total control. Before that, he, he, it was Al-Ramagevarim, then he added Hashem, giving him total control over Ramagevarim, his two ears, his two eyes, his sexual organ. I'm quoting the, 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 the Chazal. Avram Avinu didn't have to fight that hard. He discovered God in his own. Naturally, it came to him. And uh, you have two extremes here. And the Ravid says, no, we have to take the middle road. We're enjo- allowed to enjoy life, but don't overdo it. Enjoy it so that you're basically fulfilled and happy and content. But don't let your desires and your drives rule over you. Minimize them. And here he gives the example, and now I come back to what I've told you so many times over the last 62 years of being privileged to teach Torah. Rav Hanach Fishman, he says it. You have something you love, leave over a little bit. Leave over that last slice, that, that last kazayat. Show that you're the master. And this is Rabbi Hanuk Fishman. Remember my story? I write about it in Washington. Not only write about it, last week who called me? No, Yomo, tell the class who got in touch with me. Rabbi Hanuk's grandson. Oh, you weren't there when they interviewed me? When I was talking to America? Rabbi Hanuk's grandson teaches in Parkey Day School. And his son is being bar-mitzvahed, who's named after his great-grandfather, a new Henech Fishman being bar-mitzvahed. And he asked me stories of his grandfather, great-grandfather. And of course, the greatest story I, I told, the number of stories, there was Hashgacha Pratit, I'll tell you in a second. But what I need for the class is exactly what the Ravid is talking about. Friday night, I would go over to his house. Remember, this was my Rebbe in eighth grade. He didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Yiddish, but he changed my whole life. So Friday night, they they lived in the Bronx. The Bronx was filled with over 700,000 Jews. And after World War II, we started to have some from Jews who cared. 
and his wife, Zichronet Sadeket Levracha, made beautiful, delicious chocolate cake. And I noticed Reb Chanech every week would leave over the last morsel. And finally, Natan, I came up with the chutzpah, and I asked him, Rebbe, on Shuldik, excuse me, Rebbe, but you, you, your wife makes such delicious cake, and I see every week you leave over. The last kezayat, I said to him, the last the kezayat. And he explained to me what Mus is about, Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz. He was quoting Rabbi Yeruchim. It's right here, right here in the Baal Nefesh. And you know what that means? Imagine you're getting all dressed up for, to go to a simcha. To, all right, don't put on the best shirt. Uh, one, one item of clothing, a little less, a little less. Ah, uh, is that it? You want to know Hashgacha Pratit? Let me tell you Hashgacha Pratit. So I told Rabbi Fishman's grandson, I think his name is Mordechai, I told him, you can look him up, he has a whole Mishnah Brewer, look, a, a, a whole teaching of Mishnah Brewer. It's amazing what you get on the computer. I would advocate computer, everyone should, oh, but, but there are bad things on the computer? Well, there are bad things in life. We have to teach choice. I mean, and we're not always going to succeed. But if you don't succeed, don't push a kid away who had a sin. Remember, chatat norim, you know that rabbinic expression? There are sins when you're young, it's, it's might be, you don't push the kid away. Later in life he'll grow up, he'll do tshuva, he'll understand, and he'll be a lekavet uletiferet. Take my word for it, I can tell you many stories out of Chim If I start telling the stories, I won't teach a thing, I'll just tell you stories. But with my own life experience, but I'll tell you what happened. I told the kids something else. Your grandfather, your grandparents, you know, we had three great individuals in the Bronx who taught at YU, who were my Rabbeim, Rabbi Hanech Fishman, Rabbi Noach Bernstein, Rabbi Yeruchim Gerelik. I said, your grandparents suggested the best. Rabbi Noach, the greatest Talmud of Rabbi the brisk rub of revolval in America, he became cynical. I loved him. Believe me, I loved him. He was my Rebbe, and I was a Ben Bayat, and I had children, but I saw he could never handle America. Rebbe Ruchim was a Valakin, was, was Voltanic. Oh, he was going to destroy America and bring Rotten there. Rebbe Henech was a Mira who lived in the Bronx. And I said, you want a story? Your uncle, Heshi, who died young, my dear Chavi, was the eldest of the Fishman children. So uh, one day I came home and I said to Reb Henech and his wife, I said, Today I made your son into an American. I took him to his first Yankee game. And his parents were so happy. And I told him, you don't know how well I used this line in Australia. I was in Australia a whole month, uh, 21 years ago, and oh, people hearing, uh, Baruch Hashem, I hit a few good home runs there. And uh, 
Now is the biggest event, 400 people, the most public talk, and 400 people in Australia. It's not, not the Upper West Side of Madison Square Garden. This is an achievement. And filled with Chabadnikim and Mizrahi. If you know Australia, you know Melbourne community. And I got up and said, Ladies and gentlemen, today I became an Australian. And everyone looked at me, and I took out the hat, the football. My students took me to an Australian football game, and the place went. Then I told them the story of Kenneth Fishman. And then he went on to say what I had to say, but 400 people were falling off their chairs to catch every syllable. But this is Reb Chenich. This is the Baal Nefesh. Look at these words. And he goes on and on. He says, know your limits. Yes, enjoy life. But know where you stop. Know where you end. And, and he has a whole discourse here that what Torah is about and why we want to limit I would say hardships in life why we're not in favor of vows why we allow enjoyment we want you to have a proper attitude we want the body to be happy we want you to be fulfilled there's food that you can eat. There are drinks that are wonderful. He speaks in terms of reach, that they would take incense and burn it in the house to give it a good smell, but everything within limits. And then you see the Lithuanian approach. Why is this so important? What's wrong with living like that chassid? And being a chamar, it will affect your learning. When you're fasting, when you're not happy, when you're distressed, when you're suffering, you're mavatel Torah. And there you see already the rivet, you see what later becomes litfish. Torah is iba'alas the most important. This is a litvak. This is learning. This is rakefet. I apologize. I don't go to Titian. My daughter, one of my daughters went to Rebarla. A daughter and a granddaughter came over Shabbos. They went to Rebarla's Tish Friday night. My daughter has a Hasidic bent and my granddaughter, I hope uh, she'll bring home a Chabadnik with full regalia. And, and uh, but they I'm a Litvak. We find a Shalalem. Are you now a Dafkamara? Oh, boy. And here you see the rivet. And here he also deals with Tshuvata Mishkal. Tshuvata Mishkal is one of the most fascinating questions you can uncover in the responsible literature. And you all know I showed you, I don't know what year, maybe last year, two years, three years ago, ten years ago, I mean, I dealt with the Nodebi Yehuda, the famous Nodebi Yehuda with the uh, 
I mean, Sin was not born today. Epstein and Weinstein, these names disgraced the Jewish people. By the way, Maxwell, I only hope Chabad is visiting her, so you're probably wondering why does the Rebbe care about uh, 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 that lady, Maxwell? She's, her father was Jewish, her mother was not Jewish, so I don't know if I told you. She, her father has one tremendous schut. Her father's story, Robert Maxwell, <coughs> he was born into a Siddisha home. Hitler came, destroyed his whole family. He chased God out. He chased Judaism out. He married an Jew. But by the way, he remained married. He was not a playboy. He had a number of children. He was a fine family man. Got involved in uh, money and publications. And was he wealthy? Wasn't he wealthy? Uh, we'll let the English try to fig figure that one out. But... Uh, he got, rediscovered his Judaism and became very close and very helpful to the state of Israel. Uh, he did things for the Mossad that only he could do. But above all, why am I praising him? Why did I say Chabad? You're wondering, right? What does Chabad have to do with, it, with this lady rotting away in prison? It's very simple. Chernobyl, after the tragedy, Chabad went in, and I think it was 97 you can check it all out. I'm sure all the facts are online. They took out 97 Jewish children from the Chernobyl area. Now, they wanted to fly these children to Israel. There was no way to fly directly then. And uh, no European country would allow Chabad to refuel and bring the children there and then continue on to Israel. Maxwell got involved and he got England to allow a planes or planes to come in from the Chernobyl area, land in a isolated airport, refuel and go on to Israel. And her father did this all, paid for it and arranged it. And you should know that a great tzaddik that I knew from Leningrad, my work in Russia, I visited with him when I was back in Russia to see what's going on today a few years ago, talking about Yitzhak Kogan. Kogan, who was very active and helped these children, brought these children out. He adopted one of these children. Mamish adopted that young man today lives in the Golden Heights, happily married, six or seven children, Kulam Shum Torah Mitzvah, and it's a slut of Maxwell. So I'm not saying his daughter deserves an award for being a Beis Yaakov girl, but uh, I hope they visit her in prison. I hope if anyone's listening in America, the, the slut of the father, do what you can to lighten her burden, even with bringing good kosher food, it would be really, in my opinion, a, a chesed shal emet in the full sense of the word. But you see, this question of tshuvat hamishkal, do you remember the question? Again, I don't want to repeat it. It hurts me even to talk about it. Uh, a, a, I spoke about it a few weeks ago that uh, a, a son-in-law who was being supported by his father-in-law to learn Torah and the Nodami Huda calls him a Talmud Chacham and etc. He had a two-year affair with his mother-in-law. 
So now the question was, was a double question, whether you tell your father-in-law and what type of tshuva can you do. And the Nodbi Huda says, you ask me what type of tshuva, tshuva tamishkal, I can't get involved, I don't have any sources for this, it's different Kabbalah, you know, people sat in the snow if they were sinners. Uh, and all right, the Nodbi Huda ultimately, remember I showed you the tshuva that they have to fast and do this and that, I want to tell you, if this tshuva came up, if a shayla like this came up today, the only way I would direct the sinner is more Torah learning and more Torah learning. And I, I know Halachal there was a yid, a wonderful Jew of, of London origins, he's no longer alive, I don't want to mention his name, but he had made a mistake in a certain halacha. And he asked the big Rav what he should do. And the Rav told him, you take on how many hours a day do you learn? He said, I learn an hour a day. Try to learn an hour and a half a day. That's the best shiva possible. And and this too, he says time and again with these hachakot and becoming a nazir and getting involved and, and running away from life, he says, I'm not happy about it because ultimately it leads to Beetle Torah. And I have to tell you in advance what I'm saying, quoting the Ravid and quoting Rabbi Fishman and everything like that. This is a Litvisher approach. Hasidic approach, uh, they say on the Bells um, Rebbe, Rabbi Rokach, the Rebbe who came here, lost a wife and 11 children to Hitler. So they say that no one knows when he ate. He davened, it took him hours to daven. He fasted. No one knows when he ate. All right. I can't be negative towards the Hasidic approach. Barla Belza, I mean, the stories about him are legendary. I don't know if you're aware that in the Sinai campaign, do you know the story? You don't know the story. We lived at Sinai campaign. I remember coming to class in Yeshiva College and Professor Rafa saying to us, well, I better teach quickly today because I see all you guys want to run to Israel and join the Israeli army. I never did I dream that one day I'd be doing basic training and serving in Miluim for 15 years and 10 years for the Mossad. And that was in YU in 56. So that Friday night, the story turned out. Again, I hope you, remember, I hope you know about Mitzvah Kadesh. That's what gave Israel self-confidence that we were not going to be wiped out because Rat Hashem. And... Um, the army broke into Sinai Friday night, but it wasn't announced until Saturday night or Sunday morning. No one knew anything. But what they knew in Tel Aviv was that in the Belsishtibel on Rehov Acharaam, that the Rebbe went into Hitler Avot. What does that mean? He, 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 he signaled the Gabai, send everyone home, not to wait for him. And Hapori Sukkot Shalom, Aleinu Kol Yisrael, it took him three hours or four hours just to say that part of the davening before Shmon Esri. The Rebbe finished davening at uh, at, at midnight. And he told the Gabbai to make Kiddush for him, but he's fasting. He's fasting. Turned out that those hours that the Rebbe was davening were the 
crucial hours of the breakthrough into Sinai where the most bitter battles were fought. By 12 midnight, they had already broken the Egyptians and the, from there was a march to the Suez Canal, almost uncontested. So, all right, can't criticize Hasidic leaders, but we have our way, they have their way, and every generation, every individual has a right to choose. There's no one hashkafa. As I've said more than once, halacha demands, commands, demands obedience. It's the frame in which we live. The picture that we paint is individualistic. By the way, in retrospect, they say, I don't know how true it is, but in, if you read the memoir literature for the uh, Sinai campaign, they say that generals from the IDF went to the Rebbe for a bracha, that they should be matzliach, and they told them what all the plans were. So they say that's how we knew that at that the prayers were needed the most. Okay, so I, that's the Baal Nefesh of the Rivet. Let me go a drop further. We'll finish with this today. We haven't finished the whole chiva. It's fascinating how he deals with it. That's the Baal Nefesh. Jack, this answers a question that Jack asked me a while ago. Where do you see his tribute different, the Hasidic influence? So uh, here he tells you eating is very important, enjoying food. And here's a part of the tshuva that I don't believe a good Litvish Pose could ever understand. <laughs> Excuse me. And, and he says, What is Yodechein? Elliot, that's Mekubalim. You and I are not Yodechein. But Mekubalim. Know that the Shulchan eating is Avodat Hashem. What does the Gemara say? That nowadays when we don't have a Beit HaMikdash Shulchano Shaladam Mechapeh Vahavi Leikim Izbeach Vahilak HaChilat Korban Wow, wow. That the whole approach to eating. Sacredness, holiness. And here's the example. What did I mention before, Mark? Where did my... Daughter and granddaughter go Friday night? Rabbi Shulchan. Ah, have you ever been to a Hasidic Shulchan? All right. That is a sight. That, I have to admit, I've also, when I was touring here, I, I think it was Rabbi or not Volna, I was also, uh, that is a sight. And only a chassid can comprehend it. There once was a tremendous display at the Israeli Museum on chassidus. And they actually had a whole tissue could, with movies where, where you, that were done on Purim, you know, when you could take movies. 
Yeah, you're in a different world. And what they do, Friday night, everyone goes home after davening, you make kiddush, you eat, but you make it tonight that you're watching and making a mozi and you finish the meal later at the Rebbe's tish. Then, and two, three hours later, they all congregate at the tish, and who can understand it? The Rebbe has a little fish, they pass around Shirayim, the challah, they pass around Shirayim, the fruit, what goes on at the tish, and what's the concept? That the Rebbe sanctifies it. All right, I don't have to tell you. The masculine had a field day laughing at this. If you read the Haskalah literature, they were anti-Hasidic. They were le- it was hard for them to be anti-Litvax. They were anti-Musser at times, because the Musser could go to extremes. But uh, the Hasidic, the Rebbe Est, and, and everyone's looking, and Bekidusha, Ubetahara, and, and this becomes so central to Hasidic life that I quoted to you what the Vishnu Tzarebbe said when this corona broke out and they argued with the Vishnu he said this is the heart of our life if they if they don't come to a tish they, they'll, they'll be spiritually uh, depri- deprived and, 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 he, and he actually indicated that even if some people die but it's the only way to keep the Hasidim from is this focal experience around the Rebbe. But what do you see? This is food. This is a tish. This is chassidus. This is shrayim. And, and I once I, in Mahon Gold, in the early 70s, I remember lecturing on this, and I asked the girls, could they explain it? And one girl quoted to me the Yushalmian Sanhedrin. I couldn't get until today I remember that girl. Uh, she knew it. It's, it's, it's the Gemara at the end of Sanhedrin it talks about they would make a Sudat Mitzvah when they were Mavir a Chodesh when they were Kaddish a Chodesh everything dealt with a Sudat Mitzvah and it would describe how Amorayim in their youth would crawl under the table the next day to get the crumbs that were left over from the Suda of the Gedole Gedole Tanoyim Amorayim what, 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 what does this mean? It's shutafut. It shows you join together. You share your bread together. Use that concept. You are one. We are with you. The next generation is embracing the previous generation. And, and think about what a tish is all about, what it represents. And this is food. This is sacredness. This is holiness. And, and therefore, we can't become Nazirim. It's, it's, you're a hotel. We have to enjoy life. There's something to your question. Are you allowed to go on a diet? And, and he's touching upon here basic Hashgafic understanding what is Yiddishkeit about? How do we differ from Catholicism, Protestantism, Buddhism, Islam, etc., etc.? Now, I want to just make one addendum to this. And this opens your eyes to the greatness 
of the Satmar Rebbe. Excuse me, the greatness of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I'm saying Satmar because I'm thinking of tomorrow already. The greatness of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now you just think for a minute. What was in America before World War II? Hasidic-wise, almost nothing. There was one Rebbe that caught on very slightly on the Lower East Side, the Biana Rebbe, Vic Snow knows what I'm talking about. He had some Hasidim. But there wasn't the Tish who came to the Rebbe, you heard the Rebbe. I, I was at the Biana Rebbe's Tish to hear him make Kiddush. It, it wasn't the major, it was in his house. That Kiddush I write about in Washington, if I know how to make Kiddush until today, it's because of that Kiddush at the Biana Rebbe. Little did I dream that one day I would teach and be very helpful to his granddaughters. Follow? That's a skut Baruch Hashem Torah. It's munach bekerens of it, the Gemara Kedushin. You can be kinder and do great things even without the greatest jichas in the world. But I was at, I was at the Biana Rebbe's Tish. He caught on to a certain degree. But after World War II, the Satma, the Kloisenberg, the Squera, but Lubavitch was very different. He already caught on in an international failing uh, because I would use the word, he modernized the Hasidic approach. One minor example is he didn't wear a strimer. Imagine if the only way you can be from is to wear a strimer. Could you imagine 1950, 51, 52, you're telling young people you want to be from, wear a strimer. The Rebbe did not wear a strimer. Now don't correct me. I know people are going to send me emails. He didn't wear a strimer because his mother-in-law didn't give it to him. Or the fa- Check out Rakefit's lectures on Lubavitch. You have it all there. But Halacha Lemaisi didn't wear a strimer. But more than that, he turned in the Tish to an entirely different concept. A fabrengen, a chitva atot. When the Rebbe, what would happen? They were minor every Shabbos Mavachim. The Rebbe would meet, would say the Vatora. There were times he gave out Lekach before before Rosh Hashanah, before Yom Kippur, get gave out wine, and there, before Yom Kippur. Oh, the Rebbe was right there. But the big Tishim that were indescribable, and you can still pick up on YouTube, which is just beyond words to me, it's unreal that you can relive it and re-see it. Again, it's bad because the Lubavitcher don't need an ever. They have all the, all the technical m- means of calling him up. Uh, what was it, Tishin Lubavitch? Yeah, he shared the wine, he shared the uh, 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 lekach, uh, cake, let me recall the English word. <laughs> he shared lekach, he shared wine. It was very respectful. It's not taking a piece of fish or a piece of meat and passing it around. But the whole hitva adut it turned into endless divrecto. Anyone here about Lubavitch? You know what I'm talking about? The Rebbe, first of all, you didn't, the wine was passed around. The Rebbe made a, a bracha up front. Everyone passed and passed. And then you didn't drink the wine until the Rebbe would look at you. L'chaim! 
L'chaim. Everyone felt the Rebbe saying L'chaim to me. Saying L'chaim to a thousand people sitting in this area. But the Lekach, remember, would be up front, covered up when he made the brach on the wine, because you don't want to embarrass the Mizona, which is more important. Then they would open it up, take the napkin off it, the, the cover, the challah cover, and, and he would make a brach on the Lekach, and they would every pass around. And But that was it. The heart of the Fabrenian, then he'd give different Torah. And he gave different Torah on every different level. It was Shas, make a Siyam at times. Now they've published all his Siyam. He's a gone idea. Chumish, contemporary issues. I'll quote him next week in, uh, within the context of something in the Shiva. Contemporary issues, feminism, length of skirts, Israeli government, Mizrahi, Aguda, compromise, Mihu Yehudi, strength, America, the American government, Crown Heights. I mean, the Rebbe, and then he would give the Dvach Hasidat where that was an experience in itself. I have to admit, I didn't understand anything, but I'm in good company because when the Rav came back from 1980 from the Fabrengin on the uh, uh, 30th anniversary of the Rebbe being Rebbe on the outside of the 6th Rebbe, so they asked the Rav, he said, oh, he was overwhelmed by this. He said, I didn't understand the the Hasidic, you know, the Devalo Kim, but the way the Rebbe said it, and then, you know, he knew, you know what I'm talking about? The Rebbe would be standing and, he'd be, and, and he would be holding a handkerchief and, and his eyes were closed and he'd be in the Olamot HaEl It's a sight you can't describe, you have to experience it. And, you know, Barak, you know why you held the handkerchief? Ah, you don't know. You want to go back, do me a favor, take off 49 years and listen to why you Torah. He held the handkerchief. That, that connected him to the world. The fear was that he would just float away into the upper heavens. And that was indicative that he has to be connected yet to this world. All right, so it's, this is a very powerful tshuva, and I'm not certain that Moshe would have dealt with it. It's a woman wants to have a diet. Why not? Don't interfere with your wives, all right? But he deals with it, and you get involved here in basic philosophy. What is Yiddish kind about? What is Taiva about? What is food about? What is work about? What is sex about? A whole approach to life is right here. And I love the way Rabbi Menashe Klein handles it. He's with it. He knows what's going on. Uh, a, a good Hungarian slash Hasidic Jew in the modern world of Borough Park, Brooklyn, circa 1970. Okay. Tomorrow I wouldn't miss the class for all the planes, the bombs, the missiles that are being prepared to scare Iran. And it'll be interesting to see if you can scare Iran or you can't. 
David, I can give you a lift home. Just it'll t- take me just a few minutes after class. Of course, I already spoke with the secretaries. I know that tomorrow I have a little bit more to do, and the sherry's not here. And uh, tomorrow we pick up exactly where we left off with the Satmarov and Rabbeinu Tamtfilin. And wow, they just understand that it's a lot to understand. No prejudice against them. I said, I don't agree with them. At the end, I'll show you one Rambam that totally justifies my opinion and my humble opinion. But all right, we'll get there in about a year's time. Are there any questions from the lovely erudite classroom in front of me? Rebbe is blessed to have such students. Yomo, until we meet again on health and happiness, that's for Danya. Yes, David. Well, Chazal Sekol Shomed David HaMelech you know, he gave her, there was a Get Al Tanai. I've given many years of lectures on that question of the Get Al Tanai and all that goes with it. But, all right, the, 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 how do you understand Moshe Rabbeinu that he hit the rock? All right, it was less of a sin. But it's just one Pasek. And that's the way we have to, have to accept Torah. And I look back at my life, there's some things, I, I was stupid. I, if I would be rabbi again in Lower Marion, I wouldn't be sitting here, because I would have been so successful. If I would have the cycle I have today, I would have never left America, the rabbi at Lower Marion. And I was a kid of 23, they almost killed me, and Baruch Hashem, I recovered. And then I would have never left the rabbinet. I was the happiest guy alive teaching in YU, building an orthodox shoe, maple wits. No one knows today, no one can, that I taught in YU is true because I have students that are, I'm very, very close to. From, I'm closer to them than anyone because I, I forged their lives like a Panach Fishman forged mine. So that's, uh, but the rabbinet, no one knows I ever existed there today. Everyone's gone, dead. Who we got? But I built an orthodox shoe from nothing. Go and dream that the President of the United States would one day have to bless me. We were the first orthodox shoe in that neighborhood today. No, it's Baruch Hashem. It's Chai Hanoseyet Atzmo. And if anyone would have told me in 1962 that one day there'll be a state-of-the-art mikvah in Beit and an Arab, I would have said, what, are you crazy? We don't have a minion of Shemesh Shabbos. But Baruch Hashem, lo yidach mi menu nidach. Okay, Yomo, open it to the world if there are any questions. Yomo, Yomo, he wants Mark. Mark will open it, okay. Yomo's breaking in Mark. To be sure we have a backup. Yitz Rubin, you got what I left you? Okay, good. You, you understood it, right? There's a lot to talk about in that interview with, with Herbsack and of Weinberg. Okay. Uh, mute. Hello. Okay. Unmute yourselves. Can, can they ask? Are there, are there any questions from around the world? Any comments? Rebbe? Yeah? The streak is 49 now. For YU it's 49? For YU, they blew away Medgar Evers, CUNY, last what? night. 104 what? to 59, I think. So we have to have 49... I think Dr. Nader is online. 
Okay, I'd like to hear, in addition, I'm very happy with the street, but 49 siyum, siyumim of shas. Okay. When, I was on, when I was in Australia, New Zealand, uh, they took me to a cricket game. Uh-huh. So a friend explained the rules, and I explained baseball to him. Uh-huh. Uh, you have any idea how long those games are? The short ones are seven hours. You have to bring a safer with you. You got to bring a safe and you got to bring food with you, not just the safe. I move yeah, seven hours, Dafmanesan and drinking. Wow. Uh, but by the way, uh, this Tuesday is Yud Tevet. I guess I want to tell you what's forgotten already is originally they made the Holocaust Day part of Yud Tevet. Are you aware of that? There's a whole history. So when I came in Aliyah, in Yutevet, you'd go into Aserabatevist, you'd go into Shul, almost everyone said Kaddish. It was something unbelievable. In the Ashkenazic Shuls, the Svadim, not as much, obviously, but in the Ashkenazic Shuls, almost, I, I still remember, almost everyone said Kaddish. Today, 53 years later, it's very different. I'll tell you why, for two reasons. Yom HaShoah has caught on. So Yom HaShoah has knocked out Yud, Yud Tevetz. And there's a lot to talk here, it's not for now. But Yom HaShoah caught on. Uh, did we need a Yom HaShoah? You know, the Rav's opinion, but it's not, not for now. I don't, want to get, I don't have the time, the energy. I don't want to get involved now. But it's an interesting question. The other reason is very simple. Today, most people are grandchildren of survivors. They're not the children anymore. And uh, I'll tell you where I saw this when my sister-in-law came from, uh, from the States uh, a week ago, two weeks ago. So we w- my daughter drove us on Tuesday, uh, when, when, uh, right after I taught, I taught Sunday, Monday, before, at this, in Kanaka, the start of Kanaka, drove us to Eretz Achayim, to, the, to my in-law's graves. So uh, we saw some of the graves there. One grave... You know, the minigist to put the names of those that have no grave who perished in the Holocaust to put on the grave of family. We saw one grave with over 20 names on it. Shem Yerachim. All right, what Hitler did, we should never forget. But again, how good Jews can still remain outside of Israel is beyond my comprehension. I, I admit no one... Not everyone agrees with me, but I don't understand it. But at least their children, I say to my friends or my students who are in their 60s and 70s today, are your children living here? At least your children should be here. And the last issue of Nashim Nashim magazine, there's a whole article about a lady whose husband was killed by terrorists in East Jerusalem some 20 years ago how she remarried, has another family, remarried her husband's best friend, but she still feels like there are two men in her life, the original and today. That lady is the daughter of a dear student of mine from Macomb Gold, from the Elizabeth area. Her uncle was a dear student of mine in BMT, Mayor Alexander. Was that in your year, Mayor Alexander? And Baruch Hashem, the children are here despite all the heartache and the price we pay. And the more Jews, the less price we have to pay. The more Jews, the stronger we are. The more Jews who vote properly. The more Jews who learn Torah, who serve in the army. That 
builds a stronger Israel. Okay, are there any other questions? All right. Let me just ask him, after all that we spoke about today, dieting for health reasons, yes or no? Of course you can diet. We are finished with the chuppa. He's just scratching the surface, but he's showing us that we have to be in control of our desires. But on the other hand, he's not in favor of being a Nazir. But we'll get there next week. You'll see, he goes even further than that. Give me a chance to uh, to deal with it. He's very interesting. But that's next week. Shlomo, I see you smiling on me online. But I miss you in class. Oh, we Shalom. There's your friend Shlomo Anapol looking at me with a big. I want to thank everyone. Vic, after class, we'll take care of what we spoke about tomorrow and to see if we have an easy solution. And I want to thank everyone for joining me. It's very inspiring, both the students in front of me and those online. And until we meet again in health and happiness, Shavuot Tov Umavarach and Das Vidanya. Thank you very, very much. And I want to thank Mark Wiener, gave me a birthday gift, a new type of microphone that works without a wire. I'm coming into the 22nd century. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Reverend. Thank you. But getting in, into it. Recording started. Coffee tomorrow. Uh, I got to tell you, it's not easy, but they do grow up. And in Yiddish, there's an expression, Kena kinder, Kainitz, it's Kleina kinder, Kleinitzaris, Grace kinder, Graceitzaris. Little kids, little problems. Big kids, Big problems. Okay, so now take take it and stop.